Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Pastor May J. Gilbert Senior, coming to you on this Friday evening. We're coming to you on from On the Wall in Ministries here in Alpha Vista, Virginia. We're coming to you for our uh, Bible Institute here on Friday evenings. Thank God for you joining us on this evening. We've been studying the gospel uh, possessions and prosperity. We've been looking at it from the Old Testament, New Testament. And uh, we finished up on that study. Now we're getting into our um, review or conclusions of our study. This week we'll do some conclusions. Next week probably some applications. And then we'll be able to end this study and move on into another study. But we thank God for you joining us on this evening. And we pray that you will continue to support our ministry here at uh, On the Wally Ministries. And we thank God for you continuing to pray for us, those that are tuning in chiming in on our class on this evening, but uh, we ask that you continue to pray and support us as we continue to do the work God has called us to do. So we're getting into our study, uh, the, the Gospels, Possessions, and Prosperity. Uh, as we look at it tonight, we're going to talk about the five different trades that we covered in our study. We're looking at those aspects of the um, uh, our conclusions this evening. So let us bow. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come. And as we come, Lord, we ask that you would just touch our heart and our mind and our soul that we might be prepared to do that which you have assigned us to do. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for all your many blessings. We pray for the sick, the suffering, and the bereaved. We pray for all pastors and teachers and ministers everywhere. Pray for our nation and the world that we live in. We pray for each and every one who's trying to do that which God has assigned them to do. Lord, let them be faithful. Lord, we ask you to bless this ministry in a most special way. We ask that in the precious name of Jesus, we do pray. Let every heart say amen. Amen. Possessions. Uh, the gospel, possessions, and prosperity. As we look at our conclusions, uh, as we look at the Old Testament, New Testament conclusions, as I study, I want to be able to look at 18 conclusions as we study tonight. We uploaded them on our uh, Facebook page. You can open up that page and you'll be able to look at those uh, study notes as we are opening up tonight. So uh, how do we understand possessions and how uh, about the character of God, the sinfulness of man, the sufficiency of God, the necessity of faith, and the urgency of eternity? Those are the five treads that we're going to look at uh, these conclusions tonight. And we um, I know uh, we're going to try to summarize this the best as we can, and uh, and then we're going uh, to do what is necessary to try to accomplish what God has given unto us. So as we look at our first uh, study tonight, the first conclusion tonight, we're going to look at the tread of the character of God. How in the character of God uh, do we understand uh, these possessions uh, that we look at tonight. One of the things that we want to review, Billy Graham has said once, he said, tell me what you think about money and I can tell you what you think about God. Uh, in character of God, first conclusion is God is sovereign owner of all things and we are his stewards. God is the sovereign owner of all things and we are his stewards. And first thing we have to understand is God's ownership. God owns everything. He has the authority. He has expectations for us. He gives us trust on things that he gives us and to give us in our charge as stewards. And he also, he's very strict. He's concerned about how we operate. 
with the things that he has blessed us with. And he's very generous. God gives us everything that we need to carry out the task that he has called and ordained us to do. And also, God is absent, not meaning that he is away, but what God does as a, a good steward, a, a landowner would uh, charge someone to care for the property, a land dresser or a vine dresser. He didn't own it, but he trusted them. He was always away. He went away to see whether or not that trust could be there. So in his absence, we have to be accountable for what he has charged us with. And also, he will return. Just as so God has blessed us and given us a charge, he's coming back one day looking for accountability. And then God owns everything, but God also he gives to us and we have to be accountable as stewards. So our stewardship, we are accountable. We must be faithful of the stewardship that God gives us. And we must be focused, stay focused on what he has given us to do. We must be what? Fearful of him. Not fearful of him in a fearful way. Respectful of him. The charge that God has given us is very important. So we have to be uh, fearful of that charge that he has given unto us. And then we must work. Work the work that he's given us. He says, while it is day, because when nighttime comes, no man worketh. So we must work uh, according to what God has given us. He's given us his trust. He designated his authority to us as stewards to be able to do the work. He's very strict about what he's doing. He means that we must be serious about the work that God has given us. And then, like you said, he's generous. The master provides everything that we need. And, and as stewards, he makes sure that we are provided with what is necessary to carry out the call that he has for our life. And then he says expectations in every word of those parables that he reads. The master came back expecting a, a, a good stewardship of the ones that he has given a charge to. And then he says he expects us uh, also to be wise as stewards. God expects us to be wise as stewards. Accountable need to be wise. We must be focused and, and then we must work. Stewards must work hard. We're not lazy. We must be wise about our approach and how do we do the resources that God has entrusted us with. And we don't sit back and do nothing, but we must be ready because the master could return one day and we got to be accountable for what he's given us. The steward wakes up in the morning. He said, this could be the day. We don't know exactly when the master is coming back, but we do know when he returned, he has some expectations for us. Then we have to be concerned about our accountability when he returned. And then the second conclusion that we're going to look at, God is passionate. He's a passionate judge over all people, and we are his servants. And we are his servants. In compassion, God cares for the poor. And, and it's all over the scripture, all through the Bible, God cares for the poor. And God defends the powerless and those that uh, have no uh, way of fighting for themselves. And all over the scripture, we see the widow, the orphan, and, and the stranger, and those who cared for, especially by God. God cares for those who are in need, his compassion. He cares for the poor, and he defends the powerless. And then, in his justice, God dispenses his uh, property and possessions to all his people. So we see this. God is giving 
prophet did to all of his people as he leading them into the promised land in the Old Testament. He see where he gave great possessions, but we see it echoed in the New Testament. In his justice, God is what? He's condemning. God condemns prosperous who disregard the poor. Those who are prosperous who disregard the poor, God holds them accountable. Old Testament, New Testament, the Gospels, we see God uh, uh, casting down the rich, powerful people who neglect the poor, and, and he casts down the rich and those powerful people who does not have compassion on those. So God, he is a compassionate judge over all his people, and we are his servants. As his servants, our goal is not luxury in the world. He never promised us that we'll have a luxurious life. If the goal of our lives is luxury in this world, we are not aligned with the scripture in doing the work God has called us to do. Our goal is uh, for, uh, is love for God, to get the love for God. Uh, do the things that will have the love of God working in our lives. We want to love him far more than we want to have the luxuries of the world. We are his servants. We are the servants of a compassionate good. And then the third uh, of these uh, 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 conclusions that we want to review on this evening is material possessions are a good gift from God to his people for his purpose. The natural or material possessions are good, is a good gift from God to his people to accomplish the purpose that he has established for them in their lives. So as much as the scripture talks about the danger of wealth and riches, we need to see that God gives good things for us to enjoy. Possessions are intended for God uh, by God to be savored. We should savor the things that God given us. In Genesis, they're good. First Timothy, they're good. And, and all over the Bible, riches are reward for those who are obedient to God in the Old Testament. So it's hard uh, not to enjoy the things that God gives us. So it's not bad to enjoy things. It's really good to enjoy the things that God has given us. But righteousness and riches can coexist together, at least for a little time. We can enjoy the blessings of God for a little while, but when our focus gets too much on riches instead of the work that God has called us to do, we've taken possessions and made them our God instead of God giving us possessions to enjoy and to share with others. So it's really important. Righteous and riches, we said, can coexist together for a little while. It says that, but uh, but there are examples like this, Job, righteousness and riches, huh? Before everything happened, righteousness and riches were all together with him. Proverbs 31 said that a woman, a noble character, righteousness and riches, she cares for the poor, she has riches and she has wealth. And then there are times that we have that God wants us to have uh, extravagant use of our possessions. And there are celebrations in the Old Testament, celebrations about Jesus coming in and woman uh, using the expensive ointment to anoint his uh, uh, body for the funeral. There are certain things that God expects extravagant celebration. You know, we should have extravagant celebration when we are glorifying God. But the thing is, so it's not bad to use our possessions for extravagance if it's giving God the glory. 
but there is no norm for us to have riches to enjoy because uh, we're being blessed by God. God blesses. He says his reigns on the just and the unjust. God gives riches and blessings to those that are just and those that are unjust. So that's the possessions that are intended by God to be saved with things to give him glory. But at the same time, possessions are intended by God to be shared. God gave us possessions so that we can share with others. And they are the gift from God uh, to his people for his purpose, not their purpose. And they are intended to be shared with those that are in need. And that's all over the Bible. It's intended to share among nations, not just at home, among nations. He said uh, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the uttermost parts of the world. So we must share the many blessings God has given to us to be able to help those that are in need all over the world. Scripture, riches, and possessions are given to us as the people of God as a good gift. But the thing is, we got to be able to use the gift in the right way. Next, possessions of, uh, of promises of prosperity. And their final one, it relates to the character of God. And, and promises of prosperity in the Old Testament must have been understood in the proper context of the covenant that God has with his people. And now we talked about this a lot, but I want just to be able to summarize or reiterate now that we've got this whole picture in the Old Testament. Obedience of God leads some, and not all, but some to acquire many riches and possessions on earth. We see that in the patriarchs. We see it in Deuteronomy. God promises material blessings for obedience. He promises those blessings for hard work. That's what he says. However, remember, God gave possessions, at least in part, that wasn't the only reason, but in part, to build a place for him to display his glory among the nations. We said that God blessed the people of Israel when they went into the promised land with the blessings and the promises so that they could be able to build him a place to worship. He built them a place to worship. That's why God blesses us, so that we can be able to be a blessing to someone else, uh, to lead them to a place, first of all, uh, to the promised land, I said earlier, uh, to be able to display his glory among all nations, that once they got to the promised land, they would be able to have uh, the money necessary to build a place, to erect the temple, uh, to uh, uh, to get all of the the needed uh, construction of the temple and preparation of the priests and all of the things that were needed for the temple. God gave them possessions so that he could build them a place for him to get the glory that they needed. Uh, one of the things in, uh, that we've got to see that God does in the Old Testament in the context of the uh, of New Covenant, because in the New Testament, obedience to God leads some to abandon their possessions. In the Old Testament, they were blessed with possessions, but in the New Testament, see, that God Many times, he asked us to abandon our possessions. Jesus says things like, go sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Look at Barnabas in the, uh, Luke 12, abandoning, selling his possessions. In the New Testament, uh, God gives possessions to the people to build uh, them to give glory to the nations in the Old Testament. 
but God gives possession to build people who take his glory to the nations. Instead of building a, a people, a, a place for him to worship, in the New Testament, God builds a people in order for them to take the glory uh, of the word of God to the nations. And he never tells us in the New Testament, listen, somebody going to get mad now. He never tells us in the New Testament to build him a place. He told us to build him a people. He says that the body is the temple of the Lord. He says to build a temple who takes the glory to the nation, promises of prosperity in the Old Testament must be understood in the proper context. But in the New Testament, he's telling us that uh, in order for to rich, we have to be poor in spirit. We have to have a knowledge of him in a way to understand that the new covenant uh, is different than the old covenant that is covered in the Old Testament. Then we have to look at uh, uh, the sinfulness of man. We talked about the character of God, one of the other treads, the character of God. But let's look at the sinfulness of man. How does possessions and, the, uh, uh, and prosperity uh, relate to the sinfulness of man? And these are four conclusions that we covered in the possessions and the character of God. Now, uh, the sinfulness of man in the hands of sinful people, wealth is a dangerous thing. Wealth can be dangerous in the hands of the wrong person. Now, here's the deal. Uh, in most things or possessions and wealth, uh, they are morally neutral. Wealth and possessions are not evil within themselves. They are morally neutral. Wealth is morally neutral. Possessions and things, and, and they are morally neutral. They are not bad or good on themselves, and, and not because they are bad by themselves, but because you can use money uh, 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 to do good things, but you can use money to do bad things. You can use money to buy a slave, or you can use money to bribe a judge, but also you can use money to fund terrorism, but also you can use money to buy a gift or to pay a salary or fund a missionary. So money is not evil within itself. So we have to understand that. So it's not wealth that is the evil. It's not, it's, uh, that's why Jesus said it wasn't money, it was the love of money. It's the hands of those who are holding the wealth that we have the issues with. It's in the hands of what? Sinful and evil people. Wealth can be dangerous. If people are good, then wealth can be used for good. But if people are bad, they will use that wealth to do what is bad. If people are evil, wealth is used for evil purposes. And what we saw about the sinfulness of man is we are more prone to, toward, to do that which is evil than to do which is good. Evil, that and then good, means that it makes sense for us to see these warnings that wealth brings over the place that God has for us and wants us to do. It's dangerous in our hands to have too much in, and too much in uh, at one time. And Christians in America just don't believe this one that we think that wealth is a blessing, that God blesses us as a nation because of our wealth. No, God does not bless us because of our wealth. Our wealth has taken us. Uh, caused us to take our eyes off God, and we've sinned greatly because of the wealth. So we need to realize that wealth can be a barrier. Wealth can be a barrier to the kingdom of God. 
and that's huge. And wealth can, uh, in the sinful world, in sinful hands, leads to much injustice around. We saw this all the time in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Wealth in the sinful world uh, causes us to forsake the poor and forget all about the poor. Wealth in the sinful world leads to immorality and sinfulness, and, and, and we forget all about the truth when wealth comes in. Romans 1 says the truth of God, uh, they turn the truth of God or exchange the truth of God into a lie. And they began to worship and serve the created things rather than worship the God of the creator. And which leads to what? Idolatry. A lot of times wealth leads to idolatry. Worshiping the money. We forget all about our God and what God has done. We fill our lives with stuff and, and we forget all about God. I want you to feel the weight of this, this, this thing that we see. Wealth in a sinful world makes it difficult for someone who is rich even to be a Christian. You know, he says that it's easier than a man to go through an eye of a needle, a camel to go through an eye of a needle, than a man to uh, inherit the kingdom of God. So we have to understand that wealth brings a lot against us to be able to uh, conquer, to be able to get past ourselves, to be able to do what God calls us to do. That's what wealth does. Wealth in the sinful world makes it difficult for even a Christian to be able to be rich. And the prophets warned us about that. Jesus said it in Mark 10 and James reiterated it in James 2. And Paul confirmed it in 1 Timothy 6. He said that we cannot ignore the repeated warnings here of the eternal danger of the effects of possessions that can have in our life. In the hands of sinful people, evil people, wealth can be a dangerous thing. In the lines, uh, lives of sinful people, greed is deadly too. So that's the next one. Greed is deadly. Desire for more and more possessions instead of bigger and better. And, and the more we get, the more we want. And the bigger it is, the better we think it is. Greed is diverse too. Now, but we see both of these in the scripture covenant. He says, which is what? Lusting after the things that we don't have. I want this, I want that, I want this. The next gadget, the next thing, whatever it is, we got to have it possessiveness, hoarding what we don't have or hoarding what we do have. And uh, hoarding is just as bad as greed. Greed is wanting something that you don't have. And then all of a sudden, hoarding is just trying to keep and hold on to everything that you do have. So both leads to great sin. Uh, possession and hoarding, diverse and greed is devastating. Scripture teaches us that 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 one who lusts is a what? He's an adulterer. One who lies is a murderer. And one who is greedy is an idolater. And one who lusts and that's serious stuff that we need. Greed is diverse. Greed is devastating. And greed is damning to your soul. The very desire for riches and plunges your soul into destruction if you're not careful. Paul told Timothy in Timothy verse 6 said, In the lives of sinful people, greed can be deadly. Then the next truth that we want to talk about under this tread of the sinfulness of man, we have to keep a balance. Materialism and asceticism and materialism and asceticism is both sinful perversions of God uh, desire for possessions. Here we deal with Martin Luther said humanity always makes the earth. We fall off the horse on one side 
we get up on the horse on the, and we jump off the horse on the other side. And, and then we see both of these potential diverse uh, things, dangers that happen that we need to avoid going from one side to the other. If we get bad on one side and we expect to find a different result on the other side. They said that's insanity when you do the same things and expecting different results. Asceticism sees money and possessions as sinful. And the ascetic says money is evil, but money is not evil within itself. Examples in church history uh, that we have to look at money, possessions, they are evil. Some people thought that, but that, that's the way to be holy is to get rid of your possession. But that could, think about it, but it equals piety versus poverty. Holiness is, is related to poverty, and you can't always relate to that. Everything God created was, is good, and the danger is that self-denial actually becomes self-advancement. You want to advance in your status before Christ, and, and, and so deny yourself possession. Just in the sinful and the proud of your possessions is equally sinful to be proud of your poverty. Listen to me. If you are proud of your uh, possessions, he says it's equally sinful to be proud of your poverty. You shouldn't be proud of being uh, poor. God wants you to have more and more in life. But so everything God uh, uh, made is for his joy. So extreme simplicity becomes excessive standard. Poverty becomes the standard which we are accepted by God and approved by man, but it misses the whole point of the gospel. When you look at Jesus, you got to realize Jesus was simple, but he was not an aesthetic. He hung out with gluttons and drunkards, but he was not a drunk. He, he did not just drink wine, he turned wine into water. He's juiced up the party. He was simple, but he was not one who thought that everything, that money was evil and everything. Money, you need money. Materialism sees money and possession as all satisfying. So you, you can have a possessiveness, but now when you are materialist, you think that money and possessions are satisfying everything. Materialism takes you which is good and makes it the ultimate. It's greed that exalts things. If God created us to love people and use things, but materialism tells us to love things and use people. God tells us to love people and use things, but materialism tells us to love things and use people. And that's our culture that we're in. In effects of materialism, it blinds us from our spiritual poverty and everything look good to us and well, and we have our stuff, and we are blind to the needs of others. And Richard Baxter, a Puritan pastor, said, he said, when a man prosper in the world, their minds are lifted up in their estates, and they can hardly believe that they are so ill while they feel themselves so well. People are so sick with this materialism, they think they're doing well, but that's the thing about it. That he says that that's the whole different thing about it. All I know is my life is materialism, and it will blind you if you allow it to do so. So I'm blind. 
to materialism brings us worry and anxiety. And if only I could put that raise, if only I could get that better job, if only I could get that nicer car, if I could get that nicer house. Materialism gets you caught up into uh, things that will cause you to have anxiety and worry. Materialism leads us to endless fertility. And we are just like a drug addiction and you think uh, you need a fix in the house and the car and possession to be able to get you closer to being like the next person or someone that be able to compare yourself to somebody else. It lures you into thinking that you are self-sufficient too. The more money you get means that you don't need nobody. I don't need anybody. I don't need nobody. I got all that I need. So you cannot be self-sufficient. Materialism traps you into a, a self-centeredness. You're all thinking about yourself. We began to think and have the right stuff. We deserve it. We earned it. Now we talk all kinds of crazy stuff. When you get so much stuff that you get this possessiveness and materialism uh, in your spirit, pride and uh, elitism began to come in. And materialism distracts you from the purpose that God has called you for your life. Good things, TV. Good things, the TV is bad, TV good, not necessarily. I got one, <laughs> but when you have a TV, that's not all. You either have a hook up on an antenna or you subscribe to some type of cable, then you buy a DVD player, then you start reading, renting movies, and then you need to surround sound, then you need to affect some of the movie, and then your neighbor get a bigger TV, so you gotta hit an upgrade. Things will get you in caught up into trying to stay and keep up with the Joneses. Stuff will do that. Oh, watching immoral shows on television. The more you have, the more you try to get, and the more you get involved, and more you get pulled away from God. And then you're, you're taking time away from your family. You're taking time away from prayer. You're getting time away from the Word of God, and you time away from being neighborly and to your friends and neighbor. All of that things will get you so distracted from being a people person, or being a person who wants to share your life with other people. You get a boat, that's another one, eh? You get paid the money, then you got to justify the cost of renting the boat and getting all of the fishing gear. Everything leads to something else. And then materialism also can distract us from our purpose and deceive us as our churches. Can a materialistic world be won by Christ, by a materialistic church? And I don't think so. I don't think so because if we're a materialistic church, then we will show the world that stuff is better than our God. And we cannot do that. You can't draw people to Christ when tell them that your stuff is better than God. And then they will never see the supremacy in God if we call our material stuff. Then secondly, we'll keep it but all our resources pent up into more stuff. And then we'll fall, fail to give uh, toward the, the, the advancement of the great commission that God has charged us to do in the world. Materialism ultimately keeps us from the kingdom, from having the kingdom experiences, having the kingdom relationships that we have. So we've got to be careful. The key to overcoming materialism is seeing that Christ is all satisfying. He satisfies us more than stuff. It's seeing that Christ is all satisfying, and that's what how the sinfulness of man can be corrupted by materialism if we are not careful. Then we have to look at the sufficiency of Christ. 
possessions and the sufficiency of Christ. First, it comes almost directly from 2 Corinthians 8th chapter and the 9th chapter because it, it was so significant for understanding the value of the whole picture. The incarnation of Christ is the foundation of the generosity of the church. In the incarnation of Christ, again, we see the poverty of the world. He became poor so that we could become rich. He gives us his rights and he gives up his rights. He gives us his resources and gives up his resources. We are the people of the world and we give up what? Uh, we, we are his people in this world, so we got to give up our rights. We got to give up our resources. What Christ did, we got to do because he says that you follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's what Paul told them. So that's the foundation of the generosity of the incarnation of Christ. Secondly, is the sufficiency of Christ. We, uh, when Jesus saves us spiritually, he transforms us materially. When he saves us spiritually, he transforms us materially. After Pentecost, among first believers in the first century church, you see the radical community and see the generosity and the work of Christ in the church. He covers our sin. He covers everything, the effects of sin that we talked about. He covers it. He changes our lives from the inside out, and, and which means that follow this. We do not live and give sacrificially because we are in debt to Christ. Uh, I, some people might understand that. I'm going to take you to one step further. Brothers and sisters, you do not owe Jesus anything. You do not owe Jesus nothing. No, wait, well, one thing about it, because you have nothing to pay him back with. Grace is freely given. How can you pay back which is not a debt? He says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God gave us a gift. It wasn't a debt. It was grace. It's grace because it can't be paid back. You can't pay back. God wants you to live a life because you love him, not to pay him back. It's not being asked to pay back and live and be good. Jesus was not broken. Uh, some broken uh, broker that gave you a deal and I give you this if you give me that. God is not broken the deal. The reality is that we would still at that point where we could not be saved if Christ had not given us everything. Everything we give is something that has been given to us. Christ gave us everything, so what we have to give is already been given to us. The reality is that Jesus did this for us in the past. He's going to do it to us in the present, and he's going to do it to us in the future. Every good thing we have uh, that to give comes from him. Everything that we have belongs to him. When we said earlier, everything belongs to God. So we do not live to give sacrificially because we are in debt with Christ. We live to give sacrificially because we are indwelt by Christ. Uh, this is the beauty of it. Christ is in us, so we give because of what Christ did for us. Jesus' debt in salvation, uh, we could not never pay that back. Instead, everything that we are doing, uh, he did it for the work for us. It's his grace that he gives to us, his life overflowing in us, indwelling in us. Our possessions are now a, a, a way that we can be able to show our motivation by giving unto those that are in need. We sacrificially not trying to pay a debt. We are sacrificially trying to have Christ to indwell in us. 
And that's what motivates us to obey God's grace. So we need the sufficiency of Christ for our, so that we can be able to be free from the lust of our possessions and free to be able to run after Christ all satisfied and to use the resources that he has given us to bring glory to his name and to bring glory to the world. Then the necessity of faith. The necessity of faith. This leads us to, it relates to possessions and the conclusion number 10, faith in Christ involves surrender of all possessions to Christ. We announce everything that we have. Uh, Luke says that for many of us by means selling the possessions and, and advances in the kingdom of God and they told all they had and they laid it at the apostles' feet. For all of us though, it means that we have using every possession we have to advance the kingdom of God. So uh, Jesus is our Lord over every decision we make. And Jesus is Lord over every dollar we spend. He's Lord over everything that we do. Every dollar we spend uh, is Jesus to determine what we need to do with it. And next conclusion is faith in Jesus results in generosity toward people. And, and, and uh, faith in Christ reconciles us to God. Yes, that's true. But in essence, in the gospel, we no longer live for earthly treasure. We love our eternal treasure, which is more than our earthly treasure. God is our treasure. And that reconciles us one with another because we are not living anymore for selfish gain. We are free from that. Free to live with selfless generosity. Our reconciliation to God by faith leads reconciliation with others because we are not seeking after our own gain anymore. Next year, no matter what they claim, those who neglect the poor are not the people of God. Listen to what he said. The people of God are those that who neglect the poor are not followers of Jesus Christ. The fruit of faith is concern for the poor. We need to have the concern for the poor to have the fruit of the Spirit of God in us. So the fruit of our faith is to be able to allow us to show others who Christ is in our lives. God desires Christians to live simply and to give sacrificially. And then in the New Testament, we see examples. We share our possessions. We sell our possession. We sacrifice our possession. We share, we sell, we sacrifice. All three of those in Scripture. In the New Testament, we simply give sacrificially. And that's God's desire for our lives. Not to give out of the law, under the law or the grudgingly or of the law by necessity of the law but we give freely and then the second part is we show glory to Christ to the world by caring for the poor and the global church we need to take our resources past our local churches and realize that God got a mission for us that is beyond our church door and then our last to cover is the urgency of eternity the urgency, the conclusion number 15, Christians use the money and possessions per eternal consequences. 
I love this one, a startling thing that happened to Western Christians and many uh, habitually think that the act is if there was no eternity. And if you do the present thing in life, there are no eternal consequences. God will judge us with the blessings that he has given us according to the works that we do. And works are not necessity, basis, or means of our justification or salvation. Works are the necessary evidence of our justification and our salvation. As a result, Christian can never say, I'm saved and I'll do what I want to do and I'll do everything I have to do as also I'm big enough to do it because I can do it all by myself. No, you got to care about people. You have to have the love of God in your heart to care about people. So you need to be care about others. You can't have money as your God and then give God worship in heaven. You can't have money as your God and give God worship in heaven. Next, Christians use money and possessions to reveal their eternal values. And this is what we saw in Matthew 9. The world uses money to store up earthly trinkets but the value in the world is temporal. It only lasts for a moment. The Christian, on the other hand, we use his money to spread the everlasting treasure of the gospel. The value of eternal salvation is more important than stuff. Next, a Christian uses money and possessions foreshadows his eternal redemption. And we see this uh, in Revelation 21, looking forward to the new creation, a place for spiritual reconciliation. We are with God in a place of miracle uh, material restoration. The whole point is New Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth. And, and also, uh, as a new creation, we, uh, we uh, use our resources to share the gospel with lost masses. And this is the spiritual mission. The spiritual mission and the social ramification, we use our resources to be able to show the gospel to starving multitudes. Spiritual mission with social resources to be able to spread the gospel throughout the world. Then our final conclusion is that we use money and possessions Changes when we realize that the world is not our home. The world is not our home. We won't stay here. The purpose of life on earth is preparation for eternity. We need to remember, brothers and sisters, riches is fleeting. They are fleeting and wealth is fading. It will not last. What you need to realize is that we are pilgrims on a journey. Pilgrims that occurred uh, to a necessary place where we can facilitate the mission that God has called us to do. Uh, they leave things behind. We are citizens of another country. G. Campbell said that you are not a child of today. You are a child of tomorrow. You are not a, 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 you are of the eternities. You are offspring of deity. And, and, and make your fortune, but store it where there will be great reward in the dawning of that new day. If you make your future on earth poor, sorry, you have a fortune stored for you in a place that can hold it, that will last for eternity. So set your treasures up in heaven rather than on earth where the moth and can steal and, and, and destroy. But he said, put your sights, put your treasures in heaven where they will last eternity. So that's our conclusion for all of our different treads, the character of God and, and, and we went down through those treads to be able to explain how in possessions and, and prosperity, how God wants us to focus on him. Put our hope and trust on him. Get our sights off of things and stuff. 
that only separate us from God and then put our trust in him where we will be able to uh, reap all of the benefits that he has in store for us because we have been faithful. He said that if you be faithful over a few things, I'll make you rule over many. God bless you this evening. God will continue to bless you if you would only continue to put your trust in him. God bless you. It's warm and hot. Air condition has not kicked on yet, and I'm sweating, but to God be the glory. God bless you. May heaven have a smile upon you. Hope you enjoy the possessions, uh, prosperity possessions, and, and, and the gospel. We want to focus on the gospel. Don't let stuff take us, make us take our eyes off Christ. Our mission is about spreading the gospel, not getting rich, not building bigger buildings. Remember I said earlier, God never charged us to build him a place. He told us to build him a people. We're about people makers. We're fishermen of men. God told us to be fishermen of men, to go into all the earth, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then he said, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the world. God bless you. May have another smile upon you. May let us bow. Father God, we do thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this hour. We pray, Lord, that you would just continue to help us to be that which you desire us to be. Help us to be good stewards. Let us be stewards of what you blessed us with so that we can be a blessing to someone else. Let us to help alleviate the poverty in the world, to the, the suffering in the world, the brokenheartedness. Let us bring people together to comfort them and to help our uh, let our resources to become a blessing unto them. Lord, we thank you for this day. And we glorify your name because you are worthy to be praised. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Let the household of faith say amen. God bless you. May heaven have a smile upon you. And we'll get into our applications. How do we apply this to our present day life? How do we apply those, uh, those teachings that, uh, that we have learned about the gospel possessions and uh, uh, prosperity. How do we apply that to our everyday life? God bless you. We'll see you all next week.